0: Here at the 511 Studio at 511 South High. Lawyer talk, off the record, but on the air, with yet another episode of the continuing saga of the Blinsky Chronicles. And we're getting closer and closer and closer to the end. So, everybody who has been talking about the Chronicles, wondering about the Chronicles, trying to predict how the Chronicles will end, well, we're getting closer and closer and closer. We wrapped up last time with the plea to the five-year mandatory minimum in front of Judge Marbley in the federal courthouse here in Columbus, Ohio. One of the most intimidating yet uh places that you could do any business, I think. Uh, and now we got to move forward. So, you know, there's a time... Anybody who's been through this or through something sort of stressful where it's happened to me, I'm trying to think in times where it's happened to me, where maybe you got fired from a job or you got, uh, you thought you got an A on the test and you get the F or maybe you got, you got your girlfriend dumped you or whatever it is. And you're sort of walking out of, uh, wherever that happened, your house, your, school, your business, whatever it is. And there's the, you know, you just feel like your, your brain is spinning. You just got kicked in the backside or kicked between the legs. And you're just thinking, I can't deal with anything right now. And then somebody, you know, comes up to you and starts talking to you Hmm. and you're just thinking, I can't, deal with this right now i can't oh I, i'm sorry you're trying to be We're nice you're trying to moments. engage you're trying to do something you're just like i can't do it and you know jeff you know we tried to prepare jared for everything that we that was coming that day that he pled guilty in front of judge marbly in a federal courthouse uh and there's one thing i didn't see coming either you walked out of that courtroom that day jared to a waiting snake pit ready to, or a trap ready to spring on you. And I, I don't want to call the individual you encountered a snake or anything like that. It wasn't like that, but it's like if we, you were not mentally prepared for what was waiting there. I'm going to use the, the three letters PSR pre sentence report or pre sentence investigation.
1: Prior to that,
0: yeah, that's one of those moments where, you know, prior to that everybody's treated you professionally, you felt everybody has been respectful to you, you felt. Now, now look, not necessarily that you you didn't it's not that you didn't earn the respect, it's not that you didn't d- d- command or demand anything. Sure, that the just federal court they they usually treat you pretty well, but you ran into a whole different scenario that I don't think you were quite ready. And and I bet you if you asked this individual, did she treat you poorly? She would probably say no because this is one of those moments where I am watching a dynamic unfold in front of me and I realized that this quickly was sort of spinning into something I couldn't control. I wasn't, I hadn't prepared you for this yet and I couldn't necessarily stop. it. now I did intervene a lot and eventually I think we got it on track, but. Well, let's talk about briefly, Steve, what it is. So what
2: is a PSR and what is Jared expected to do?
0: All right. So here's what happens in federal court. You enter plea of guilty. And at some point after the plea of guilty, you go meet with the probation department and there's a probation officer assigned to your case. And that probation officer's job is to do a background report on you, on the, on the person who's pled guilty. She, in this case, is she. She was supposed to uh, interview Jared. They'll get the facts and circumstances from the court, uh, from the prosecutor. They'll get both sides of it. They'll, they'll look at your prior criminal history. They'll look at the uh, version of the offenses. Everybody says it. I mean just all sorts of things that go into it. And their job is then to create a recommendation under the federal sentencing guidelines. And the guidelines at that point weren't mandatory still, meaning we didn't have to follow what the guidelines were. Have we talked about the guidelines in the class? Yeah, we have. All right. Um, but they were still advisory and, and a, a, a PSR, a pre-sentence report – the job there is to come up with a guideline calculation based on the background workup, and then make a recommended sentence to the judge. All right? But the judge still gets to see all those questions he answered, right? It's Correct. a complete report. It's a completely re- it's a complete report. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I got it right here in front of Pretty us here on thick. the table, and uh, it is a U.S. Pretrial Services Office uh, status reported sentencing. Uh, so it's the you know that it, it, we generally speaking would enter a guilty plea sort of take a deep breath, come back to the office, and I'd say, all right, next is the pre-sentence investigation process. We're going to meet, and we're going to talk about how that goes down. I may have mentioned it to him. I'm sure I did. Um, But what I didn't tell you is that she would be waiting right outside court to do the PSR interview.
1: After plea, we will have to go do an interview. Yes. is What was in, in, in my head was that, okay, just talk to Marbley. He let me know what I have given up. My rights. Now I go to give an interview. I don't know if I what I was expecting from the interview, I thought maybe we'd sit down, just go over basic information, here's some things, and and that will be that. It's a little bit more entailed than I was I, I was I wasn't prepared.
0: Well, here's here's what's interesting is that you it, it couldn't have been more opposite. I mean, it was oil and water. You had a a probation officer who was very, very organized left brain thinker. You know, it's like everything has an order. It's one, two, three. Um, I bet you her checkbook is balanced all the time. I bet you that her garage is organized. I will bet you that every file in her office has a place and the files in it. And uh, she sort of operates on that level. And what's interesting is you don't and didn't at that time. Not like that. And we, you know, in her brain, she just happened to be there. So why not just approach us right after sentencing and come talk to you and get the PSR out of the way? Why not? Let's get ahead of the problem. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not, I'm like, well, I mean, maybe we can, like, I even got sort of surprised. I was like, is there any reason why we shouldn't be sitting right out here in the hallway Outside Judge Marbley's courtroom where he just pled guilty to a federal felony and uh, get ambushed in the PSR report. I was like, this is not, like I said, it was not in my control. We started
1: there. Then we did move to her office. Yeah. Because even after the first talk that we had there, I thought that was going to be the end. But that was not the end. Now it was time for us to, to leave, go get an elevator, and continue on. Yeah. Whenever I, if I go to the doctor... I'm with Shorty. I'm sitting there, and you got to fill out the little thing. Yeah. I hand it over to her, and she fills it out. Uh, not that I cannot do it, but the handwriting is going to be more legible and be able to go through better if she does it. Uh, when I was young, I, I, I'm dyslexic. I was in school with, with learning disabilities. Um, wasn't until during the trial whenever i went in front of a therapist that they gave me you know different diagnosis right, so of adhd i but as a kid then
0: now this is interesting we're, we're gonna i'm gonna stop you here because you walk into this individual who wouldn't understand that you don't know how much money is sitting in your checking account right now she wouldn't understand that you don't know how much you're your monthly electric bill is or your monthly gas bill is or cable or anything else. She just wouldn't understand that somebody could operate that way. And I think it's probably true that if, if somebody is dyslexic, somebody does have ADHD issues. I mean, you've learned to cope in other ways and and, and frankly, in really creative ways.
1: There, there are things now in the financial way that I have learned and there are apps. And I had a partner that I let do all the book work. I had a home life, Shorty, I let her do all of that. Yep. And today is a different day. No, you've today, today, I am I am involved. I know every penny, dime, expenditure that's going out. I did not realize that I was good at writing budgets until now, and 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 I enjoy it. And I've found that I that I can do that with help. All I needed was help, and I never asked for it. I just always let other people do it. So we're sitting in the hallway and sh- she's asking questions and she wants very
0: specific. She she, specific. she, she wants it. She wants it detailed and she, it's like her looks are so judgmental. She's like, you don't know how much is in your checking account. Like you're so stupid. You don't know this. Well, that's or what, why wouldn't you? I think you're was, the was dumbest person I've ever met. that's how you felt. I'm sure
1: I, I felt horrible. Well, she asked me, she said, where did you go? Where did you go to grade school? Now, I was born in southern Missouri. I lived in Louisiana. I lived in different parts of Missouri. I, I I I could not recall my grade school. And she's like, "What do you mean you don't know where you went to grade school? What is your problem?"
0: She said, "What is your problem?" Yeah, it was sort of like that. I mean, it, it was it was it got to the point where it was going to get standoffish because she, I could see the frustration in you. I could feel the frustration was, in her.
1: I can't. I can't say the exact questions, but I can tell you that she was coming at me. And at one point, I'm pretty sure I tapped my finger on the table and leaned forward. And she said, you're getting very defensive with me. Why is that?
0: And I just said, listen, we just got done with the play. Now you got to put the backdrop on this too. It's like, this is one of those, this is the moment, right? She (sighs) has been working in the federal court system her entire career. She's dealt with thousands of people who have come out of court she is law. She. I don't want to say she's callous because that's not the right word. She is. She. It is. It is the impact of that that has on people. I think to her it's just a daily job. To you it's a once in a lifetime experience, and you just got punched in the gut, and you're walking out, and you weren't ready for this. And well, let's so- boil this down to what it is. This is a job interview.
2: She's going to write a detailed report that's going to get handed to Judge Marbley, and he's going to make a decision about your life based on. A lot of things, but one of those main things is what she writes down. And she just looked across the table and said, you're being defensive. How much is in your
1: checking account? How much is your electric bill? What is your mortgage? What is your insurance? Who is your mortgage with? And you didn't know any of it. And I didn't know it. And Uh, And she was like, the look, that was it. The squinted, the eyes, the turn of the head to where she was like this, what do you know? Said that? I don't yeah. know if she Since. said that. It could have. It, I, 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 it was, might, I, she very well might have said something like she, that. She said yeah. some things that I found very offensive. I was like, I'm going to try. Can I get this in? Can I get this to you? I did not realize that by the pleading guilty before the sentencing, now they have the rights. I have given them the rights to know everything that I have. What is your bank account numbers? How many credit cards do you have? What is your credit card debt? Do you have any savings? you have a life insurance policy, which I did have shavings. I did have a life insurance policy that was bought to me at my birth by my father. Yep. Where is it through? How much is in it? What is the value? What is the value of your home? I'm what starting
0: it, to sweat right now with these. I don't know the answers to these, questions. All the, all I all these anything, questions. I was were like, coming these at guys me. both and, know
1: those answers. And, I don't know them either. <laughs> and then he just, that, that was it. It continued on to where I was like, I'm not going to know the answer to any of these questions.
0: And that's if we find. I finally intervene. I'm just like, listen. Had we, did we had we done your psych eval yet? This yes, we had. All right, and and this was part of sort of the new way I was doing stuff in my practice. And you were sort of at the beginning of it because I was, I had sat through enough of those federal PSR interviews or those pre sentence interviews that it was always fascinating to me how much information I learned through that process. So I started to do something similar on my own, and ordinarily. And we did. We spent a lot of time together pre-trial. I knew a lot about you, and I knew different things. And I had a psych evaluation already done. Um, so we already knew about dyslexia. We already knew that – did you know you were ADHD until that psych eval? Not professionally. I mean, you just – I mean, you, you had never had a formal diagnosis of having attention deficit disorder. I had not. Um, you had had a – had, had. You, had. you were diagnosed with dyslexia. She- so, a, as
1: a child, you'd be in grade school, middle school, as it continued on. Two teachers would come into your classroom, and they would lean over to the teacher and talk. And then, Jared, can you please come here? You're going to go with these two ladies, Mrs. No, 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 no. And you're, there's, don't, don't worry, we're just going to take some tests. They, they don't mean anything. It's just some tests we want to give you. And then you walk out in a parade in front of a class and everybody watches you go and they tell you, don't worry about it. And I understood kind of these tests. I I knew that it's like, if they mean nothing, why don't you give them to everybody? Yeah. I seen the other students that you give them to. And it's, it's visible of, of where this is going to where then they're going to change your schedule. They're going to put you in a skills development class. They're going to put you in a learning development class.
2: What grade are you in at that point?
1: Man, That started, I would imagine, like third, fourth grade.
2: Imagine the impact, you know. It's we, like... had a similar, we have a similar childhood because I had a very bad stuttering problem when I was a kid. And I vividly remember being second, third grade-ish. And there was a period where I didn't go to that period because I went to like a linguistics person, speech class, yeah. speech, speech person, one on one. They had me read things and slow my words down, and and uh, I remember it was it because other kids were like, well, "Where do you go?" Like, you know what I mean? Why are you getting it? it's? It's you're just singled out as different. It does. Uh, it, it is. You get singled out as different.
1: You get singled out as slow.
2: High five, my I man. We're on podcast that, now, and that, dude, and, that, and that's where it's at. It's not it's a, good. Different. It's not a it's good not different. Good.
1: It's not a good different at all. And it is a horrible feeling. And you don't want. And then you and and they don't tell you when these tests are coming. They don't. All of a sudden, you see a couple people walking in, and it's like, please not for me.
2: Oh, please not yeah, for me, man. I, I knew it can't. was coming. And I never. Generally, had a you
1: stand up and you have to pick your things up because the class might be over. That everybody might be at recess. They might be elsewhere. You're going to go here and, and do this. And, and so on to it now where I flip numbers. I, I, well, before that, they, I had trouble in reading. They thought I needed glasses. Well, it wasn't that I needed glasses. It was that I'm flipping letters. I'm flipping words. Yeah. I'm, better, I'm better at, at, at audible. I, I'm, I, I can take tests audibly. I can listen to somebody talk. I, if you gave me a seminar, Jeff, I would remember that more than if I read the seminar verbatim in paper. On the same way, and so now she, and and she asked me that, and she asked asked of was I ever in any learning development classes ever I ever had, and this comes to what you were saying about the assessment that I, that I had. You'd sent me to, to get yeah. the
0: assessment. And, and, and fortunately, I had that. Now, look, let me, let me just make a confession. If I haven't ever confessed this to you, and I'm not ashamed now to say it, I regretted letting that interview happen the way it did. I felt looking back as I was coming out of that, and I think it ended up fine. But I remember thinking to myself, don't ever let that ambush type of thing happen happen again. Just say, I'm busy. Say, you can't do it right now. We're gonna have to reschedule Cause it's, it would have been perfectly acceptable for me to say, nah, we're not gonna do it right now. We're gonna have to reschedule. I got something to do, or he's jammed, or we didn't plan on this. I could have gotten out of that and I should have, and I got sort of ambushed also. And I eventually intervened in the dialogue that you two had. I think I did anyway, and sort of tried to fix this. Where I just said, "Listen, he's got dyslexia issues. He's got ADHD issues. This, this isn't about. It's it, it it's almost like she was making the classic mistake that that a un not uneducated that a maybe an unknowing teacher might make when you're in grade school um, for the class clown who instead of being stupid, just doesn't understand that – or can't read or, or hasn't – has some issue like Back that. Back when they're
2: kids, a the mistake was made all the time. They didn't understand it the yeah, way they do tonight, now.
0: And even, to even now. today it happens and um, it's a little bit more formalized with inter, individual education plans and different things. But it's like she was making that classic mistake and she wasn't educated to understand why or how. And handed me pieces
1: of paper to fill
0: out. That you couldn't.
1: I, that I couldn't because – the the numbers of from your life savings to to your checking account to everything there was i needed to fill out these forms and there was a number of forms that i was supposed to fill out that i was not i I couldn't fill them out that was frustrating her because now i'm holding her up she met me in the hallway in the hallway is when i realized that it was going to be tough because i was i introduced myself with a smile and she was not smiling. She nah, was she's not all happy. <laughs> she's all business. And she sat down, and she wanted to know about
0: what drugs have you used? Oh, this, this now, this was an interesting conversation. We don't have to tell it. We
1: don't, we don't have to tell it, but I did not start it right. Right. I thought I'd be easy with it. I said I have never used PCP or mescaline.
2: So you started with the drugs you hadn't
1: yes. used. I felt that would be easier. Hmm. I don't know why, I don't know how, but at a young age, I never continued on the lines of different
0: things. But I did try multiple. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Here's where, here's where the psychology has to kick in, because I have dealt now, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know, but I've dealt with a lot of people who have an ADHD diagnosis. It causes all sorts of side issues from depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, um, other sort of, uh, different things that happen and people tend often to self-medicate with drugs to deal with some of those side effects. A lot of people drink alcohol because of anxiety issues, and then the alcohol creates more anxiety, and then it, it goes on and on and on. But it really started to deal with the stress and anxiety of having ADHD because your shit's always all over the place, and it's not you're not on top of your stuff. Or if you've got ADHD with a dyslexic-type problem, it makes it even harder to – you didn't understand all the time what's going on in your world – so sometimes it's easier for folks just to smoke pot or it's easier for folks just to to just to sort of check out and either just accept they don't know that stuff. But then there's that underlying anxiety that is always caused. And I think sometimes the opposite always happens where people go the other way so far because they feel like their life's in such disorder that it has to be perfect. And then when it can't be perfect, that's when it blows up again going the wrong way. So it's sort of fascinating psychology. And I've learned a lot more about it since your situation there outside that courtroom. But uh, trying to impart. And I think the system has too. The system has too. She to, may treat you know? that interview different. Now, there's some irony 10 to years this. later. There's some irony to this conflict. So, when I, as soon as I say I regret letting that happen there that day, it almost ended up better because it put me in a place, in a thought at a time that I was able to tap into later. And we'll, we'll talk more. But anyway, we, we eventually checked out of that hallway. And we went to her office for – now it's even worse. Now we're in an office with uh, going through all this stuff, trying to trying to get, fill out documents you weren't ready to fill out. Um, she was not happy with my past from the hallway
1: talk. She was not happy with the things that I admitted. And one thing you told me, though, you said, Jared, do
0: not lie. Right. There's a reason for that, because if you get caught lying, it's worse you than... You said, you can be asked all kinds of things.
1: Just answer.
0: Yeah, answer or look at me and we'll stop or we'll do whatever. But here's the thing. You get caught lying to a probation officer in a probation report, you're going to be a liar. If you get caught disclosing that you used acid in college or acid at your liar, or you've tripped or you've done something, it's like, all right, well, no... What'd you think? You know, we're in a marijuana case here in a federal court. It's like a lot of people have done that who have not been convicted of felonies. A lot of people who have done stuff like that who are professionals now. A lot of judges sitting on the bench, whether a minute or not, have used every drug in the book, probably more than you. Um, and it's just uh, so that can be explained. It cannot be explained when you say, no, I've never used any drugs. But then she goes and interviews other people. It's like, oh, no, Jared, I tripped with him and I did this and I did that. Now you're dishonest and there's nothing worse than being dishonest.
1: And as, the, as we walk through the hall to go to the office is when I realized that the importance of this meeting, she is writing a report with what she feels will be the best sentencing. This is what she will give to Marbley. He entered guilty. I talked with him. I would recommend
0: this. And that's what her job was to do. She creates a pre-sentence investigation And she didn't report. like
1: me. She didn't like me. and, and uh,
0: Which breaks my number one rule, right? That's why I always tell yep. people when you're going down this path of whatever, if you're going to cooperate with uh, Agent X, they got to like you. If you're going to cooperate with the United States Attorney, they got to – and by like, I mean trust. Because in a lot of ways, you are asking the federal government to trust you now. Even though you've maybe not earned it, you're saying, but trust me now. I have come clean. Uh, like you said, the curtains are pulled back and the truth is revealed.
1: So, in my mind, all I can see is that here's what she shes said, "I can't trust you. You know nothing, you don't even know about your life. you know nothing about your bills, you know nothing where you're at. you can't answer where you went to grade school. You can't answer multiple questions." And before, the only questions you could answer is a bunch of stuff that you used to do that we are totally against and I do not agree with, and you should have never done in the first place. So one thing I've learned is that you're very good at making the wrong decisions.
0: Yep. And uh, you know what? She believes it. Now, what's interesting, what you don't know, is that I have worked, I have now, or She's she's gone now, but I had worked a lot of cases with her before and since, or several before, in many since, some big ones some of that is just how she comes off. Some of it is how she really feels and believes, but she didn't really skewer you when the reports came down. If you, if you recall the pre-sentence investigation report wasn't horrible. I mean, she didn't, she didn't really hammer you in any way, shape or form based on your answers or what you knew or what you didn't know. Um, now we did have some stuff to give to her. And I guess here's we should talk about the basic. Here's how this works in federal court, at least around here. We, we go have this initial interview. You make statements. You disclose everything. They go do some workup like uh, dig up your diplomas and and bank records and, and, and stuff. And uh, then they send out what's called an initial pre-sentence report. We get to object to that. Uh, the initial pre-sentence report often has like a, their initial guideline calculations, facts that they're relying on. Uh, Relevant conduct that they're relying on, different stuff that's there. And then we actually sent over, in this case, a series of objections to those facts and guideline calculations. And uh, the guidelines, while advisory, are still important. And they had you as sort of this ringleader, they had you as being the guy in charge, they had uh, other uh, just basic facts that I didn't like that had been sort of shaded in a direction I didn't like. So we submitted objections to the pre-sentence investigation report and uh, and created some documents to support those objections. So basically there's two recommendations
2: in front of the judge. There is the sentencing guidelines, which is where he's going to guideline out at. And then really there's how the PSI writer feels about Jared. Is it fair to say that?
0: Well, the PSI writer is supposedly just like a I don't know what they call follow it, a the computer. Guidelines. It's like they they have a they have a worksheet. They go through right. They've got they got and it works on a point system, right, Steve? Well, Hold on a second. They get well, yeah, sort of. They, they have financial information they're supposed to get. Why? Because it's relevant for potential fines. They have background information they're supposed to get. Why? Because it's relevant for your psychological background, et cetera. They have background information about your criminal history because that falls into the points that are used to calculate your sentencing guideline. They are supposed to look for relevant conduct in the case, like how many plants in this particular case, because that's relevant for the guideline calculation. They want to know if somebody is in charge of an entire operation because then they can be treated like a a ringleader, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, Somebody's role in the offense is the way we use it in federal court. Uh, because that should impact or can impact your guidelines. And it just goes on and on. It gets down to these other areas where it's like, where is there any reason to depart from the guidelines? And you're supposed to go through those. So here's a, for federal practitioners out there, I always go through and look at, there's a section of the guidelines that said reasons for departure. Every now and then you can grab one and use it in your objection letter and just float it out there. Um, and in your case, we had some providence for this. We We had the, 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 the psych report and uh, some other stuff that we were able to share. We had our legal objections to the ringleader thing. I mean, basically everybody was doing the same thing here. I mean, it was all.
1: When I had to go through the psych report, I remembered once again the being called out of class to go take these tests. And you read through and they have numbers of questions and you have to answer. You fill, you know, circle one, two, or three. Usually you read three answers. And one of them was, do you think people are following you? Do you think people are listening to your phone calls?
2: <laughs> it's obvious.
1: Do you think? And I had to hold up on those questions and I, at the end of it I said I didn't fill out numbers these numbers. I said because if I'd have filled these out last year, I would say no. But now I have found out that the correct answer is yes.
0: <laughs> people are in fact. So not only do but I think how psh,
1: people in the But how will you think? Because if I answer, yes. Yeah. It, I didn't. Can and, you imagine? And So then I sit there and now, you know, and it's like you're taking this test. And, and now I'm sweating bullets on this. What do I do? Should I answer? Do I not answer? But if I don't answer, they think, of, why aren't you answering questions? And then it's, then you just start start battling like yourself, which, which is a, a situation I've had my whole life, is with battling myself. I, I've i heard, I've talked to myself, and I can't answer my own questions a lot of times. Not as much, I, I don't, once again, I, I don't understand knowing the consequences where they really could be out of, of why I did what I did.
0: Well, and the psych eval is a lot of times a good way to get to the heart of those answers. And why do I give a crap at doing what I do? because it helps me deal with the next step. It it helps me deal with the probation people making the recommendations. It helps me deal with uh, the judge when I've got to talk about why we're here in sentencing, because I just firmly believe in your case, man, your case is one of those, like we've talked about this. It's sort of, it's shifted my whole view on it. Very few people end up in a federal courtroom on a case like this, in a vacuum, I mean, there's been a childhood something. There's been something that's gone on in your world. Maybe it's a psychological issue. Maybe sometimes it's depression. Maybe it's sometimes it's a, a substance abuse issue, medicating some other condition. I just don't know, but I have learned one thing, and your case taught it, as well as anything, that never overlook it. Get the information. If you're a lawyer working on a federal sentencing, Get as much information about your client or any sentencing, for that matter, as you can because you just don't know how you can weave it into the relevance. I read an article one time about it. It was written by a federal judge, and he was talking about how woefully bad lawyers were at allocution. Allocution is where you go talk for a client in a sentencing hearing and and talk about the case. You go to court and you watch the average Hmm. individual, do a sentencing, an average lawyer, do the sentencing. I'm not going to pick out anybody in particular, but here's the usual malarkey you hear. Judge, this individual is 27 years old. Uh, he's never been in trouble before, at least not felony trouble. He's got two kids. He lives here in central Ohio, has his whole life. Uh, he's worked as a um, you know rocket scientist, welder, insert whatever you want, and uh, just uh, re- re- you won't be disappointed if you put him on probation. All right. That tells me nothing. But that's what everybody says. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody says. Mm -hmm. And after your case, Jared, maybe not after, but it was was sort of developing up until that time. I want to stop the courtroom and make a judge who's taking notes, maybe reading the sports page, maybe thinking about what their weekend travel plans are. I want want them to stop what they're doing because at halftime, they're not even looking at you and then look up or look over their glasses. Mm Mm-hmm. And start to listen. And there's an art form to that. Yeah. I remember, I'm
2: I'm no superstar with it, but I've got to, you know, be under your tutelage. I remember the first time, maybe one of the first sentences I ever saw in federal court, there was somebody that went in front of us and they basically just read about who their client was, their age their date of birth or read it. And you looked over at me and not even in a joking, funny way said, don't ever do that. Yeah. In a very blunt and hey, if you're going to work for me. Don't ever do that. Don't
0: ever do that. Don't ever do it. Now, there's a, there's a problem with this, and that is in order to not do that, or not to do that, it takes not only work, but it takes a little bit of your soul. That's the problem. We have to become counselors. We have to become psychologists. We have to become therapists. Hmm. We have to become friends. We have to become professionally acquainted. We have to get to know our client And it just takes work. It's hard to do. We have to sit down. Uh, Jerry, you've never been in one of these meetings with us as we prepare for trial. But we have to sit down with our client. And when I'm preparing them for a trial that happened, say, for something that happened in 2016, I'll sit my client down and I'll ask him, where were you born, man? And they look at me sort of funny. Mm. And they would say, like, Branson, Missouri. Like, really? You're from Missouri? He said, yeah. Huh. What was school like out in Missouri? And then they start talking. And then, then I say, but well, tell me about your parents. Well, you know, my dad died. I really haven't. This, the the way you know is my dad is really somebody else. I, my dad died. He was killed in a plane crash and whatever. So my mom got remarried and he So I've always called him dad, but and it's, it's fascinating mm-hmm. what I learned. It is fascinating what I learned. 99% of it is completely irrelevant, except for one thing. Um, I'm going to find a morsel here and there, but I will always. At the end of those sessions, which take hours sometimes, my client will be comfortable talking to us and then I can translate that comfortable to testifying in a courtroom in a way that is real because they have exposed themselves. They, like you said, they pulled the curtain back. Now, as you did your PSR and PSI and we submitted all this stuff, I was in the process of pulling the curtain back, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how we got on this whole, uh, my, my sideways rant, but I guess you said, oh yeah, you were doing your psychological testing and what we were doing, we were pulling the curtain back. We were trying to figure it out. Now that I know, I had no idea that would be relevant, but i learned enough to know by the time I was representing you that I'd be dumb not to, I'd be dumb not to, I can't win the case. I mean, look, they got you with your proverbial penis out, yeah. right? I mean, you're stuck. Yeah. I mean, you're there, but you're, I'd be dumb not to. To get as much information as I can, because I, I got to do something. You want to have that moment where the judge looks up and looks at you. You want that, to have room's that quiet. I want to prepare for that moment. I want to prepare for that moment. Needless to say, your probation officer didn't like any of our objections. <laughs> 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 she didn't. She didn't agree with any of them.
1: Jeff was talking about the chart. I remember the chart. Yeah, I remember yeah. when it came out, and I looked over and I read to the end there. And looked pretty grim. Yeah.
2: Because it basically gives you a number of months, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I'm that's at that's a lot of months. I,
1: and they let me know that they were in charge now.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. it's I, uh, There's I, no going I, back. There's
1: no going back. You pled yeah. guilty, and, and we are in charge. And you will follow along. And it's, you, 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 get, you get flooded with emotions. You, 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 you ask yourself a number of times of, how did I get here? Why, why am I mm-hmm. in this seat right now? Mm-hmm. And when I had all the opportunities in my life in the world to not be there. Yeah. I was, I, I was not, there was no
0: sad sob story. Of how I got there. You feel like all of a sudden nobody gives a shit. You're there. You committed the crime. Here's your life on a piece of paper with yes and no, maybe questions to everybody. And here's your sentencing report and our recommendation. And we don't care what you got to say about it while you're here. Well, as you have said before, Jared, it's
2: like you had a good family growing up. They supported you. You had a good brother, good sister, right? Three of you. But what I always took it as is, like I always said to you, I said, Jared, this barbecue is so good, man. You got to open up another store. And you'd be looking at me like, yeah, I don't know, man, because my hands are on this. You know, I'm controlling this. If I got a problem, I'm going to fix it. You know what I mean? Right now, there's no controlling anything. You don't have any control over a business. You don't have any control over helping family. You don't have any control over your garden. It's like you're one of these these go-getters. You controlled things in your world. You fixed things when you had problems, you ran a business now all that's gone I do, it not, is I do not sit still no control I, 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 do. I do
1: not sit still. I do not sleep a lot. you know I mean, we met this morning here at the five one one i was I went to bed at two thirty. I was out in the warehouse stocking and counting bottles of liquid until about twelve thirty before i came i ate I ate dinner at twelve thirty this mm. morning and but I was up, and I'm here, and I'm ready for the day. I don't. I don't feel exhausted. I've got plenty to do. That was a fear. That was a fear. When you read down, it's like if I'm going to do a large amount of time, I was afraid that I w- would go crazy. Yeah. I and that was one thing I talked to you about. I said, "Can I go somewhere where I work? Not that I want paid. Can I? Can I be put to work?" Was one of the things that I, that, that was all I wanted. I, I, I wanted to, to be, to make sure that I was going to do something. Hmm.
0: I remember in my head, we're setting the stage here, right? I mean, we got the, the final pre-sentence report is back. We got the probation officer's recommendation. Didn't agree with any of our stuff. You're looking at a five-year mandatory minimum. We're hoping the government will at least make a request for some sort of departure from that. We're hoping the judge will be interested in doing that. We're hoping that if you're sent off to prison, that somehow it'll be a place that you can do work or, or function or do whatever. Um, and we don't know the answers to any of these questions. I, I always say when I first talk to somebody in my office, there are really two times where it is the hardest. The day they first come in right after being charged and then, Right at that moment when the, the sort of everything is done except the sentencing and you don't know what's going to happen or if it's a jury trial um, when you're waiting on a verdict. Because the
1: recommendation was prison five prison. years.
0: Yeah. yeah. Five years in prison. Why not? Why not get the mandatory minimum?
1: Five years in prison. Right. After that meeting, we sat down. You made your, 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 your what you said, which was denied. And then we got it back. So now I'm sitting here. And there's no reason that I'm not going to do five years. Yep. So now... What was that morning like? You're you getting to the sensing? No, I, you're, talking, you're talking about the next day after that I found out that... Well, I don't know. You go ahead. You, you drive this my, ship. My, whenever I found out that the recommendation was five years, even on five years, I was like, I figured I lost everything. Any story that I sounded proud of or thought that was funny to do had faded into the wind it was gone and they weren't worth it
0: huh. they're not they're not worth 5 years yeah no amount of money no amount of fun no amount of anything that is fleeting like this is worth a 5 year prison
1: it's, sentence will the barbecue make it with me not around how will shorty get paid Will she? Will she be able? Is she going to be able to? How is she going to keep the house? Is she going to stick around? That is that. Is she going to stick around? That is one thing we had talked about too. Is that she can rent it out? You know, we've got some other friends. Maybe, you know, maybe we move somebody in to to help out, split the bills. Uh, Because right now I've, I'm, I'm tapped. Yep, I'm tapped. I'm out of money, and I if I can't. This is also before I understood a lot about business, but if I can't make it to work, how am I going to get paid? How, we're going to, we, not, Now, is Shorty going to
0: be around? Why should she? And imagine, and look, I, we're not, I'm, I can't tell you what you're doing, but a lot of people are in this spot. And I think what I'm trying to do, among other things, here with, and, and I think what we're all trying to do is sort of give people a real life perspective. I mean, nobody is saying feel sorry for Jared here because he's going to lose five years and he's going he to because you did all these things. I don't think anybody's saying that. That's not what we're trying to say. Um, but it is an interesting perspective that you don't uh, when you're when it's you when you're the one dealing with it when you're taking the shots. It's it's a different angle. And I think really what we're trying to say is if you're out there. And you're having that kind of fun and you're living the high life and you're doing all that crap. What are you going to think in two years when the castle crumbles and uh, the house of cards falls apart and you're having to look at all this stuff? It's like, maybe, just maybe somebody's listening to this and would say, at least give it a second thought for a split second. Maybe, maybe that's all we can ask for. But next time on lawyer talk, the Blinsky Chronicles, I think what we do is we finally reveal, the big reveal, the moment everybody's waiting for. Was it five? Was it 10? What was it? And uh, we're going to take it home at least through uh, that part of it. So this is lawyer talk off the record, on the air with the Blinsky Chronicles until now.